0: Hi, and welcome to On The Spot with Dr. Michael Walker. I trust and pray that all is well with you and yours. In today's show, I want to talk about dealing with family breakdowns. For all of the good times we experience within the family unit, there are moments when unwelcomed and unpleasant situations do occur. In a perfect world, families are started and they have and live the most perfect lives. And quite frankly, In a utopic and perfect setting, they go on and live happily ever after. Parents are awesome, children are great, and they reproduce and extend their family legacies accordingly. The children have the right jobs, they choose the right spouses, they bring forth good and respectable grandchildren, parents are adored, grandparents are cherished, and so forth and so on. Of course, we know this is not the case uh, for many. In fact, we know... That in reality, people live, move, and have their being in time and space. Of course, we know this is not the case uh, for most people because most of us do in fact encounter difficult moments that at times threaten to destroy our families and at other moments wreak enormous havoc on our family ties. What do you do when your sibling ties have been broken? How do you respond when one or both of your parents fail to rise up to the duty of parenthood? How do how do you make sense of being adopted or pseudo adopted by pseudo adopted? I mean, when a relative, say an aunt, an uncle or a grandparent steps in to raise a child without formal papers, papers, excuse me, being filed in a court of law. Quite frankly, pseudo adoption in my uh, culture and in my heritage happens uh, quite frequently with those who are of African descent. And I don't doubt whatsoever that this occurs in other ethnic families. No matter what family you are in, no matter what ethnic group your family is situated in, no family, and I stress this, no family is without struggle And it's important for believers to incorporate biblical principles as they live their lives. The reality is families break down and no person is above struggling with how to deal with a family breakdown. I am reminded of an account uh, of a family breakdown found in Genesis chapter 25, verse 19 through 34. The household of Isaac and Rebekah, a husband and a wife who love each other, formed a family unit that included two sons, Esau and Jacob. Now, Isaac and Rebekah did not have an easy run at extending their family unit, for Rebekah was unable to have children when they were married. The biblical account does not reveal why Rebekah was unable to have children when they first uh, started out in marriage, and it does not Take the time to tell us, you know, how she was dealing with that from a a, a mental standpoint, nor how was uh, Isaac, for that fact, for that matter of fact, dealt with it uh, from a mental point or a mental health standpoint. But what we do know is she was unable to have children. We can take off from there with many assumptions and many have done so. And I want to take a little liberally here and just tell you that my assumption for our time of sharing is simply this. I choose to assume the reason that the biblical account does not tell us any great detail about why Rebecca could not have children is for the very fact that that was not the most important point. The most important point was the reality that both Isaac and Rebecca faced. They could not extend their family. They faced a real challenge, a real opposition, a real barrier to going on with plans that they both wanted to achieve. That plan initially here being to have children. Now, let's be honest. This presented a real dilemma for that young family and posed a threat to their desire to grow their family. I personally know people who have been in this boat. I know from observation and I know from supporting them in prayer that this is no easy situation for a family. It can be taxing, it can be overwhelming, and it can be exhausting. Isaac knew firsthand what it was like to deal with this as a husband. Rebecca knew firsthand what it was like to deal with this as a wife. I've watched others know firsthand what it is like to deal with this and drink of that cup. And I observed through scripture as if you and and you would observe it, too, with me uh, when you read it, that essentially Isaac chose to take a, a path that was comfortable for him. The way he dealt with this was through prayer. The way he faced it was through was through prayer. We do not find Isaac engaged in hyper-religious activity. No, he didn't go and, and get on religious steroids to address this. We do not find him engaged in self degradation No, he did not uh, come down on himself and guilt trip himself. We do not find him engaging in the process or the activities of degrading his wife. No, he did not dishonor her. He did not degrade her. He did not come against her humanity or disrespect her. We find Isaac engaged in a positive behavior, the behavior and the posture of prayer. He chose to cope with this huge barrier by addressing it with prayer. He prayed to God. And according to the scriptures, we have the, the simplicity of his prayer. By simply the scriptures recording, he prayed and asked God to open his wife's womb. Now, quite frankly, we don't know uh, whether he you know, sweated tears uh, 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 while praying to God about this matter. We don't know how many times he prayed. We don't know what day of the week he prayed. We don't know exactly where he was when he prayed. Perhaps, again, my assumption is perhaps those things are not quite that important. What's really important is the bottom line. He took the situation to God and he prayed and he asked God to do something about his situation, about he and his wife's situation. He asked God to open her womb. The story goes on to reveal God answered his prayer and Rebecca conceived and gave birth now to two Boys, twin boys, Jacob and Esau, Esau and Jacob. The story goes on to reveal that not only did God answer his prayer, not only did Rebecca conceive the boys, not only did she give birth to them, the boy, God went on to reveal to Rebecca uh, that the two boys would not live in harmony with each other. In fact, the parents would go on to choose which son they favored. What can we learn from this biblical account that is useful today? I think there are a couple of things that we can learn and I want to share them with you. One of the first things we learn from this is is God gives revelation to people, not titles or roles. Contrary to what some may believe, The man is only the head of the household when he leads with moral and spiritual ethos. Now, I know that many people take full stock and pleasure in the fact and take some sense of solace in, well, the man is the head of the household. I find it important to put on the distinction and qualification that is biblical that goes with that. It is not simply that the man is just the head of the household by default. The man is the head of the household when he leaves with moral and spiritual ethos. But this does not mean that he is the only one that can receive revelation from God in the, in the household. This does not mean that he's the only one in the household who God speaks to. This also certainly does not mean he's the only one in the marriage that God speaks to. When a real struggle presents itself in a family, God is not bound by the limits we place on one another. It is easy for us to to craft and develop titles and with those titles to establish definitions and roles and behaviors and use those definitions, those roles and behaviors to create walls, to create division, to create boundaries. But God is not restricted by any roles, any behaviors or any boundaries that we establish. God is not suspended then in the traditions that we establish. Of course, we find confident traditions. Of course, all tradition is not bad, but we must be reminded from time to time that God is above our traditions, that there is no tradition that we hold that can contain God, that there is no tradition that we hold that is God. And so we must be reminded that God is above our traditions and God will speak not only to the head of the household, he'll speak to the wife, he'll speak to the children and so forth and so on. This means now when we start thinking about the relationship between the husband and the wife, a much better way to think about this relationship holistically uh, in a theological perspective is two people uniquely shaped and fashioned in the image and likeness, likeness of God, both bearing the ability to hear and receive a word from God. Yes, Isaac prayed to open Rebekah's womb. Yes, Isaac believed God heard his prayer and would answer his prayer by opening Rebekah's womb. But God never told Isaac that he was the only one that could receive a message from on high. When the time came to obtain a revelation that was pertinent and important to their family dynamics, a revelation that was important to their family unit, God chose to send that revelation to Rebecca, not Isaac. God spoke to her. And I believe that there's a lesson we can learn from that and that there is a word, a meaning a message unto wives today that comes through that. Husbands may be the head of the household, but husbands are not your gods. God can give the wife a revelation about the struggle in their family and never demote the husband from his role as head of the household. If you're single and you're tuning in today, please be reminded and please understand that while you're single, you are the head of your household and God can give you all the revelation you need about the struggles that are that are threatening and that may exist in your household. If there's a real struggle going on in your house and it's beyond your understanding, you can go to God and get revelation about the matter. Ladies, it's okay to stay in your lane because if God has something to say to you, there's nobody on earth that can stop God from speaking to you. And this includes your husband. I think there's another important lesson that we can learn from this, this biblical account. Do not allow favoritism to destroy unity in your family. Unity is a state of oneness. It is being on one accord. And when it comes to preserving unity in the family, favoritism is a divisive tool. For where there is favoritism, there's a lack of unity in the family. I find it interesting that after all Isaac and Rebecca went through to have children, after waiting 20 years for the birth of their sons, after all of the belief in God to give them a son to continue the covenant blessing of God, when the children were actually born, the parents chose one son each to love. Rather than loving both sons equally, the parents chose to divide their love to play a foundational role in dividing their family. One would think after going from the inability to have children to the ability to have not one, but two sons, they would have loved both children in a united manner. manner. One would imagine that once God said yes, they would have done everything possible to love and cherish the whole blessing that came from God. But this was not the case for Isaac and Rebekah loved one son unto themselves. They chose consciously to pick one son each to love. Now, you might be thinking, why did they do it? Is there a deeper understanding? Is there a deeper revelation as to why they did it? I do not think so. I think it's just a simple revelation there. It is this. Isaac nor Rebecca was perfect. And the fault lines within each emerged once they had their sons. Now, I need to take a moment and point out something for our consideration Isaac and Rebecca did not have a blended family. It's easy. I'm I'm being very transparent. It's easy. I'm trying to be honest. It's easy for us to expect favoritism to work its way into a blended family. Quite frankly, blended families has become something of the norm in modern society. It is not uncommon to find two people who are married. Where one person has children from another person and they're trying their best to figure out how to make all of their family endeavors, their family aspirations come to pass with some measure of unity. It's not uncommon for somebody to have a child with another person outside the household while also um, procreating new children inside this new family unit. It's not uncommon for a man or woman to be dealing with uh, someone uh, whom they had a child with previously and things are positive or negative. Quite frankly, this has just simply become something that has been uh, normalized within the human relations of people. This is not to say by any stretch of the imagination that folks who who are in this condition have somehow uh, doomed themselves, for that's not true. This is also not to say that people who are experiencing this are somehow less than others. That's not true either. It is just simply to say that life has happened. And when life happened, mistakes were made. Because as I said earlier, people live, move, and have their being in time and in space. And when living, moving and having our being, there are moments in time and space when we simply just get things wrong. There are moments in time and space as we're living and moving and having our being when things just don't work out. And one area where this has become very obvious, very prevalent in the sense of noticeability is in the sense of how we extend our family And our family units And so when we make the consideration right now That Isaac and Rebecca were not dealing with a blended family situation They are, quote unquote, a natural family And what has happened Is division has crept into their unit Because both Isaac and Rebecca chose to choose one child for themselves to love. In other words, Isaac and Rebecca was not perfect. Now, I believe that resonates with many of us as I'm just sharing this with you in today's show. I think many of us can be honest right where we are. And admit, I'm not a perfect parent. I'm not a perfect parent because I'm not a perfect person. In fact, I'm going to take a sip of my tea on that. The fact that I am imperfect. Creates the opportunity for me to be an imperfect parent. And sometimes even when it comes to how I love my own children. When left unregulated, when left with no limits and bounds to check uh, to check me, I have the ability, the propensity to mistreat my own children in the area of how I love them. Now, I'm not talking about love in the sense of, you know, I'm just giving lip service. I'm talking about in the sense of affection that is demonstrative in how you treat the other person. And so when we talk about um, Rebecca and Isaac having chose one of the sons for themselves to love, what we're really talking about is a mother and a father who who have intentionally and consciously chose to make one child the object of their affection and to, order their actions and behaviors accordingly with that one specific child. I'll be honest with you. The parents overlooked that uh, both of their children's had distinctions. I would imagine that some of us, if we were to be honest about uh, our parenting, if we could reflect upon it, all of us would say that we have many dreams and hopes and aspirations for our childrens, And sometimes our dreams, our hopes, and our aspirations for our childrens gets in the way of our ability to see the distinctions that exist among our children. No two children are the same, even when they are twins, conceived and nurtured in the same womb. No children are the same. No children are identical. No children are exact. And what happens is, is there are moments when parents, within their imperfections, seek to aspire or conceive the best for their children. And in doing so, run the risk, and right, I say this carefully, run the risk of overlooking their children's distinctions. And, and sometimes what that looks like is one child receiving uh, the most accolades, while well, the other child, the other children receive little to none. Sometimes what that looks like is one child receiving the attention or most of the attention from the parent and the others receiving little to none. Sometimes what that looks like is one child receiving the blessings of the parent while the others receive little to none. In other words, what it most almost uh, always looks like in one shape, one form or another is the parent elevating one child above another that's just devastating when you think about it from the child's perspective it does great damage inside the family unit and quite honestly this was the case and the plight of Rebecca and Isaac while they may have lived at a time uh, different from ours we know what it means to be human and part of being human causes us to examine ourselves and we're not too different in the fact that we too have the propensity to do some of the same things that they did, if not worse. Esau and Jacob became victims of their parents' selfishness. You know, whenever you overlook the distinctions of your family members, you victimize them by your selfish motives Isaac and Rebecca could not get beyond their selfish affection for the child they chose. Esau was not Jacob. Jacob was not Esau. God never requires us to become someone else in order to fit into his family. We are many parts in Christ. But we all fit together in one body in Christ. I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians 12 and 21. As it is, there are many parts but one body. Now, if God allows variation in his family, how much more should we allow variation in our families? When I truly and earnestly think about it, there really should be no Black sheep, quote unquote, black sheep, that is, in our family units. There, there really should be no unequal distribution of love from the parent to the children in the family in the family unit. For God created us in his image and his likeness. And all of us have distinctions that allow for variation to exist among us. And God is no respecter of persons. God does not show favoritism among his children, and neither should we. Within the household of God, I don't have to try to be like someone else. I don't have to try to be like this one or that one. I don't have to run around trying to please people so they will like me. I don't have to put on a show and try to be something or someone. I'm not. My father in heaven loves me for me. And he has gifted me to do what I do for him in the name of Christ Jesus. God is not looking for you to be someone else. He knows who you are and he can use you with whatever gifts and talents you possessed. I would urge you to not waste time trying to become someone else. Just simply be you. I think there's another lesson that we can learn from this. Deception destroys family units. Deception destroys the family unit. Let me tell you what it destroys. It destroys the unity that exists within the family unit. Dale Galloway, in his literary work uh, entitled Rebuild Your Life, tells an interesting story. He says, a salesman was far away from home, driving down an unfamiliar country highway. All of a sudden, he came upon a barn which had a bullseye painted in the middle of it. He could barely or hardly believe his eyes. There in the middle of the bullseye were hundreds of arrows. Every arrow was inside the bullseye. As he drove down the highway, his curiosity got the best of him. He turned his car around and drove back to where the barn was to take another look at this bullseye. He spotted a farmhouse nearby, so he drove to where it was and met the farmer. After they got acquainted, he said to the farmer, Could you tell me who the excellent marksman is who shot all those arrows in the bullseye? The farmer almost laughed out of his mind. Then he explained to the salesman, That was the work of the village idiot. He had shot all those arrows at the side of the barn. Then he climbed up there and painted the bullseye around all the arrows to create the false impression that it was a great marksman. Deception. Deception serves to create false impressions. Jacob used deception to create a false impression with his brother Esau, for Jacob's name means he deceives. Jacob creates a false impression that Esau's birthright could be sold to him. Now, this is part of the the division and the dissension as it plays out between these two brothers. That there's there's a real uh, breakdown occurring inside this family unit. And a situation has occurred where Jacob believes he can literally take advantage of his brother with the use of deception. The birthright that Jacob was reaching for could never belong to him in the eyes of his of his father, who had the ability to, to bestow the blessing on his firstborn son. So Jacob deceived Esau, the one who's a firstborn, into thinking his birthright could be sold for some bread, Some lentil stew and a drink. In other words, he saw an opportunity to take advantage of his brother and use deception to do it. You know, as I thought about that, I was reminded that we're not too different, that if we're not careful, We'll try to take advantage of our own family members If we're not careful We'll go after things that Or we'll go after things in a way That dishonors A God As we dishonor ourselves If we're not careful We'll set out to deceive our own family members For our selfish motives Now, Now I realize that no family is perfect. I think I've said that. I realize that families do struggle to, to keep things intact. Uh, and I, I belong to a family. I've started a family. I've extended my family. I've, I've served as father and, and a number of things in my own family clan, my own family unit. And I know firsthand that that's never an easy an easy feat. But let me tell you this. Deceit does nothing to make a family strong. All deceit does is weaken the family. And I think we'd all be better off where, where it pertains to our families. If we did our collective part in, a, in ridding deceit from our families. That, that's where we are. We're at a place where we need to rid deceit from our families. I know that in our, you know, American culture, we're faced with all sorts of. Whatever we have, no shortage of things coming toward us, no shortage of things competing for our attention, no shortage of activities to be engaged in. But I personally believe that there's no responsibility that we have that's greater than taking care of our family. I believe every person should should do his or her very best to take care of their own family. For I thoroughly believe so the family goes, so the communities, so the community goes, so the nation. A big challenge that we face in America is not just that we have a national disaster going on in terms of our national Government and politics. Not not only that we have. Enormous division. In our state governments. Enormous divisiveness. Across the land. Many of our families. Are in trouble. And I think it's. Beyond time. For us to spend more time. Investing. In building up, shoring up, undergirding our families. We've been distracted by so many things, whether it's what's going on in the economy, whether it's what's going on in terms of how we relate to each other in this in the society. And and that almost always now in America tends to boil down to predominantly Something related to race and gender. We, we've let we've let and allowed these things to pull us so far apart that we see it almost in every facet of American life. It's in our institutions of learning. It's in our organizations of business. It's in our government. It's in our arts and media. It's even in the religion. We've we've become so divisive that trying to be one nation under God is becoming so difficult, in part because we're struggling to just simply be a family under God. Now, as this show is going out during the holiday season and during the Christmas season, I realize that the Christmas holiday is just troubling for a lot of families. I even realize that the Christmas holiday is quite stressful for a lot of families. Some people, quite honestly, dread the Christmas holiday season and having to be around their family during the Christmas break. Now, those reasons are far wide and broad. But the bottom line is something's off when we dread being around our own family members. I know that some of you listening out there can relate to this because you know what it's like when we all get together. And somewhere between uh, coming in and blessing the food and the game, uh, there's dissension, there is an eruption, explosion. Uh, Some of you know how it is. Folks showing up to the dinner on edge just trying to make sure that uh, they're not the object of attack this Christmas dinner. You you know what it's like. And we we need to stop and ask ourselves is this what it's come to? That our families are Divided, that our families are straining and struggling to be together. Let me tell you, life is short. It's so short that before you know it, you're either on your deathbed or you're burying someone whom you believe is going too soon. So why not invest in your family? Why not bring the best version of you Your family Why not Have compassion Have a little more understanding And where you don't understand Take the time to pause And step back and reflect And Just do the best you can With the situations That you are facing How about Let's try not to leave nobody Behind You know, I found out in family, (laughs) we may talk about not leaving any child behind in school, but we might need to adopt that in the family units because I can tell you what, some family members get left behind. I mean, totally left behind. And we've got to examine why these things are happening, why these things are occurring. Because really, family should be sacred to us. And it should be sacred to the degree That we're willing to become the best version of ourselves and bring that person to life in our families. Well, until I have a chance to uh, speak with you again, I've enjoyed sharing with you. Until I have a chance to speak with you again, I'll see you round like like a donut. May the Lord bless you and may he keep you.